Hey Grace, my name is Laura Holland. My family and I became a part of the Grace community at the very beginning of quarantine. We are so grateful to be here and I am especially excited to be here with you all today to talk about becoming. Last week, John taught on belonging as the first of three weeks looking at Grace's charge to belong, become, believe. What we're hoping you see is that belong, become, believe aren't three separate ideas or processes, but that they're interconnected and happen in tandem. If you missed the message on belong, I'd encourage you to go check it out because becoming, what we're talking about today, is really rooted in our belonging. So we'll unpack in the next few minutes, becoming is largely a personal journey. It's not a solo journey. Becoming happens best in a community. And at its core, community is about belonging. So as a community, let us pray. Lord, be with us today as we talk about becoming more like you. Quicken our spirits, engage our holy curiosity, and guide us in how to hear and enact what is needed as we become. May we not grow weary in the process, but instead keep us focused on you, remembering that experiencing a life of relationship and intimacy with you is the whole point. Amen. I started my professional career briefing military officers and ambassadors. One of the first things I was taught was when speaking to tell what I know, to tell you what I don't know, and to tell you what I think. I found that even as I've moved into careers in professional ministry and as a seminary student, those are helpful ways to prioritize and present information. And the categories provide especially useful parameters when talking about becoming. To give a bit of a preview, one hallmark of becoming is that nobody's process looks exactly the same. So while I hope that the things I share resonate, almost by design, not everything personal I recount will. So today isn't about breaking down the process, but instead talking through some grounding principles that can guide the way we think and approach the process of becoming. As we go along, I'll try to highlight what I know to be true what I'm still unsure of, and what I think now. This isn't an all-inclusive or exhaustive list, but it can provide some foundational footing. And for me, these are things I know to be true. The first thing to understand about becoming is that it's an ongoing process. We never fully become. There isn't really a final destination we'll reach the side of heaven. That isn't meant to be a discouraging concept, though. Instead, we can rest in the fact that wherever we are, our relationships and personal experiences can grow. Wherever you are, you're not stuck. And neither is the person on your social media feed that you should probably mute. Go ahead and do it. We read in Luke 2.52 that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and people. In other words, Jesus went through the process of becoming. He modeled what it should look like for us, and though we'll never reach perfection, the commonality for each of us is that becoming is leaning into the character, ways, and mission of Jesus. That's the North Star. That's the anchor, and that's what orients us. But while Jesus is our anchor, 
Our process of becoming isn't anchored, nor are we expected to stay in one place. In Pastor Adam Hamilton's book, Seeing Gray in the World of Black and White, Thoughts on Religion, Morality, and Politics, he writes in the introduction, I suspect that as time goes by, my own views will change on some of these topics. That's the posture of becoming. Recognizing that where we are today likely isn't where we'll be next year allows us to be open to the possibility of being transformed. We're not only open to, but expecting growth and leaning into our becoming process. It also keeps us from being discouraged by change or being crushed when we find out we were wrong about something. My faith today, the expression of it, the inclusivity of it, my understanding of some central tenets is very different than they were even a few years ago. But I wouldn't be where I am now if I had skipped those past steps. And if I ever start to feel discouraged now, I try to remind myself that this stage is necessary for what God has next. Because I certainly hope I can look back in a few years and see the areas I've been challenged and I've grown. Astronomers in the 1840s noticed that there was an unaccounted for gravitational pull in our solar system impacting the orbits of the known planets. That led them to know that there was something out there to be discovered, to look for, but they didn't know exactly what it was. It sparked curiosity and discovery. In the 1890s, astronomers started looking for planet X. In 1930, Pluto, the planet, was discovered and believed to be the explanation for the previously unaccounted for gravitational pull. Most of us likely learned that Pluto was the ninth and smallest planet. It was the missing link and answer to those previously confounding orbits. Fast forward to 1992, when additional discoveries started calling into question Pluto's planet status. And in the mid 2000s, when committees, state senates, and scientific conferences all weighed in on their opinions of the resolution determining Pluto no longer met the official definition for the term planet. I still remember visiting the Smithsonian Air and Space Museum in 2006, being super bummed out when I saw their RIP Pluto display. Not only was Pluto my favorite planet, but it made me feel like if something as big as our understanding of the solar system can change, everything's on an even ground. But here's the thing. Our understanding changed, yeah, but the solar system didn't change. Knowing the full story now, at least the full story to this point, we can see the assumptions along the way that led to discoveries being understood as they were. But our vantage point now also allows us to see how each of these assumptions, however misguided they might seem with today's information, are the catalyst to the work and the discoveries that transformed our understanding of our solar system. Though Pluto isn't still considered a planet, we know what we do now because of that stop along the way of learning and developing that old understanding. And so it is with us. There are understandings you have now that are likely to go the way of planet Pluto. But, like Pluto, they're necessary waypoints on your way to becoming. We're not to begrudge where we've been at places along the way that we no longer wish to camp out. Instead, we can look back on them and trace our trajectory. 
They provide waypoints of empathy for community members who are a few paces behind our own path. They provide points for keeping us humble because once we too learned my very excellent mother just served us nine pizzas to ace a science test, only to find out later that we were misinformed, that maybe we were wrong. But they also provide reminders of how far we've come and how much transforming work God has already done in our lives. We can cling to this with hope for the future transformations we'll undergo. As we talk about transformation trajectories, two of the most important ideas begin coming into play. Under the shared umbrella of becoming isn't linear, these two foundational principles emerge. One, becoming rarely, if ever, happens in a straight upwards trajectory. And that's okay. And two, no two stories of becoming will be the same. My story of becoming isn't going to match anyone else's, and it shouldn't. The trajectory of our becoming journey will not be a straight line. In his book, Celebration of Discipline, Richard Foster writes that we must always remember that the path does not produce the change. It only places us where the change can occur. Walking a particular path isn't the goal then, but instead, the goal is being in a place that you can grow. The concept that the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know also comes into play here. I don't know how many times I've circled back around to the idea that God loves me now as much as he ever has, as much as he ever will, and that it's a love that is bigger than I can even fathom. Revisiting this truth has been a stop on my journey of a recovering people pleaser. This has been a stop on the part of my journey where I'm working through thinking my achievements are what make me worthy and lovable. I came out here for a long time when my boyfriend passed away unexpectedly when I was 23. And I understood this idea in a newly expanded way when I got married and when both of my children were born. I've looped back around to this idea countless times and have left with a deeper understanding and more clarity each time through. But I might have many, many more stops on the way to becoming. Hitting the same idea again doesn't mean that I'm backsliding or I did it incorrectly the time before, because each time through was different. Overall, there are some stops on my journey to becoming that I've passed through before and I will not be going back to again. Some I'll be returning to and some on the horizon that I'm not ready for yet. For most of us, our journey of becoming will not be linear as much as we might want it to be, or have been led to believe it should be. While I don't know exactly what your journey to becoming will be, I believe that it will be worthwhile and exciting. The second idea under the umbrella of becoming isn't linear is that no two stories of becoming will be the same. Our goal in becoming is to look more and more like Jesus, not more and more like each other. And if trajectories aren't in a straight line, then there's no one-size-fits-all checklist that we can all apply to becoming. But Jesus modeled the process. Everyone else, even if they're awesome, is a derivative. Another of my past careers was as a small group pastor, where I oversaw small group discipleship for a congregation. I loved hearing people's journey stories because they were all different, and it was 
fascinating to see how uniquely God pursued each of us. Even for those whose story started out the same, I grew up in a Christian home and went to church from before I can remember. If you've listened, you could tease out the unique elements of their story. Because of that, we had a value that we wanted to provide opportunities that allowed God to be as original with everyone else as he was with us. And as much as that thought process was woven into everything my team developed, I still found myself in conversations with leaders who were concerned about someone in their group, concerned about the sincerity of their faith or the way it was expressed. Each time, the stated concern could be boiled down to, their faith looks different than mine. And as much as I'd remind them about our value of God's originality, or that because discipleship and becoming aren't linear, none of our expressions of faith will look exactly the same, I'd also have to pause and take stock of myself. Because don't we all do that from time to time? Don't we all question the sincerity of someone else's faith because it looks different than ours? Because it's expressed differently than we're comfortable with? Developing a posture of it's not wrong, just different can help us in matters of preference and personal accountability and becoming. My kids are two and four, and I've recently discovered the joy of telling on each other, specifically when one has something the other wants. In response, I typically tell them to keep their eyes on their own paper. They have no clue what I mean. But I'm reminded each time I say it of how much I need to follow my own advice. I need to let God be original with me. Let the Holy Spirit tend and prune and cultivate what he's working on in me instead of looking with judgment or, just as harmful, looking with longing at someone else's process. As soon as I get more concerned about what your process of becoming looks like than tending to my own, my process is stifled. And how many opportunities for growth have I missed because I was comparing myself to what I saw in someone else instead of trusting that I had gifts to be used and that it was okay to have talents that still needed to develop. Because here's the other side of no two journeys being the same. Since each journey of becoming is unique, we are all responsible for our own process. Each of us must take ownership of our becoming. Though our individual journeys will look different, one of the commonalities is that becoming is active. You've likely noticed that there are a lot of synonyms for become that I've used. Grow, learn, change, transform, develop. All of them are action-oriented, and all of them require engagement and investment. But because becoming is a journey, not a destination, we're helped to remember another cliche that it's a marathon, not a sprint. Some of the active parts of becoming will be internal and relatively unseen by others, but engaging differently in community and serving others will also be outflows of our process. When new opportunities to jumpstart or reinvigorate your process come up, be mindful of how you engage. It can be tough when opportunities that come up that are good to not want to say yes to everything and to go really hard out of the gate all the time. We're wise to remember the adage that a yes to one thing ultimately means a no to something else. But before you hear that I'm suggesting saying no to opportunities to become or to enact new expressions of your becoming, let me be clear. A journey requires movement to get from where we are today to where we're going. 
And growth doesn't happen if we keep doing the same thing over and over. When we follow the same exercise routine each time we work out, our muscles have already been conditioned in that way. We stop seeing physical gains. We have to change it up to see results. In the same way, new opportunities can help provide a catalyst for a needed trajectory change in your journey. But you'll likely find yourself in a position of having to reevaluate some of your previous yeses in the process. So how do we know which steps we're supposed to take? I don't have that answer, but I think Mark 12.30 provides some insight. We're called to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all of our mind, and all our strength. I believe that loving God with all of our mind means that we're called in part to engage in a holy curiosity. This holy curiosity is often what drives the action of becoming. When you're listening to a sermon, what ideas catch a hold of you? Or conversely, do you find yourself thinking, no, when you hear them? That's the start of holy curiosity. Lean in. What opportunities to engage in our community or to serve the church do you find intriguing? That's holy curiosity. Lean in. What experience are you going through that has made you start to look at things differently than you did before? Lean in. And what have you seen or heard lately that left you thinking, I'm not sure that's what the Bible actually says, or I'm not sure that's what Christians are called to portray. Study, look it up, ask questions, and lean into the holy curiosity. Christianity isn't passive, and the process of becoming certainly isn't either. When we're on our active journey to becoming, it's more fun with friends. As we've already touched on by connecting belong and become, becoming happens best in community. One of the many seemingly contradictory things about the process of becoming is that it is something that I have to do on my own. I have to take ownership of my process and no one can make me want to do anything or can go through the changes for me. But my friends, my family, and my community, they can support me, they can encourage me, they can call me out and call me up. The Holy Spirit often sounds like my husband, Tim. Now, I'm not elevating him to a godlike status here, but those who know us best often see us best. They can call out growth we don't even see in ourselves, and they can shine a light on those areas we'd really rather not address but know that we need to. I love the concept of the Johari window. There are four quadrants in the window, each representing a different level of our personal awareness based around our relationship with ourselves and others. The top left quadrant is known as the arena. These are things that you know about yourself and that others know about you. In the top right quadrant, we have blind spots. As you'd expect, these are things you don't know about yourself, but others do. In the bottom left, you have those things you know about yourself, but others don't. The quadrant is labeled facade, and in a Christian worldview, we're not the only ones who know these things. God sees them too. In the final quadrant, in the lower right corner, labeled unknown, encompasses those things that only God knows about you. An important part of understanding the Johari window 
especially when it comes to understanding the process of becoming, is acknowledging that the items in each of these quadrants aren't set. There are areas of your life that right now only your community sees. You need them as part of your personal journey of becoming. And those things that right now only God knows, they're not meant to remain in the abyss, never to be known. But they will require some engagement on your part with your community and with God to help draw them out and bring them into one of the other quadrants. Grace groups provide an opportunity to be part of a community that will journey with you as you become. Will you invest in them as they do the same? This fall, we'll spend some time looking at spiritual disciplines. Leaning into these tried and true practices are some of the ways that we can become. These aren't creating a checklist to perfection or process to earn gold stars because becoming isn't prescriptive, but they are providing inroads to transforming. As we go through these together, we'll also be able to connect some dots, provide some examples, or model some practices because we can do hard things, but they're infinitely easier to learn when someone can guide us along the way. I've focused almost entirely on the foundations of the personal process of becoming today, but that's not the whole story. Our investment in our process of becoming will require investment in our churches and our community's process of becoming too. The adage, growing people grow people, reminds us that when we're engaged in the process of becoming, we cannot help but encourage others in their own process. And when we pray, thy kingdom come, we're acknowledging that Becoming is not only a personal process and a community-centered process, but a kingdom-wide process. Thy will be done isn't a Jesus-take-the-wheel-because-I'm-abdicating-all-responsibility call. It's a plea. Thank God, I want to do your will and see your will done. Holy Spirit, help us do thy will. My hope is that a holy curiosity has been sparked to figure out the intersection of your becoming and that of grace in Northwest Arkansas. When we as a church ask, what are we going to do about it? May that not be heard as an obligation, but as a potential jumpstart to becoming for you and our community. I want to invite you now to gather your elements for communion. When we take communion in memory of him, reminded of who we're seeking to become like and the ultimate why for engaging in the process. When Jesus was with his disciples that night, he took the bread and broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. And he took the cup and he said, this is my blood poured out for you. When we take it, reminded that wherever we are on this journey to becoming, this was done for you, for us. So take and eat and drink. This is an act of worship. Another act of worship at Grace is giving our offering. We're symbolizing that everyone has something to give. None of us are without need. So take a moment and go to the link to give. 
And as we continue in worship, ask the Holy Spirit to remind you of growth of yours to celebrate and bring to mind an area of transformation on the horizon. Don't discourage, don't despair, but remember that we're journeying on our way to becoming together. Amen.